0: Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Coachola alongside Tim Hur. It's Monday, September 9th, which means we, we are talking about week two in the ACC. A lot of uh, storylines to get to, some good, some not so good. We've got a couple of surprise teams to talk about in the conference. We've got a couple that aren't shining as brightly as uh, maybe we anticipated. Uh, but first, Tim, before we get on to that, what's going on with you?
1: NFL's going on with me, man. Uh, You know, having the NFL on today was nice, even though, you know, it is definitely inferior to the college product at this point. Uh, A.B. lost his mind, or did he? Or is he just a conspiratorial genius? I have no idea. But uh, yeah, it's been a crazy weekend for football. I enjoyed watching football Saturday, and now, you know, while we're podcasting, I obviously have the Patriots and the Pittsburgh Steelers on in the background, and uh, yeah, that's not so bad as far as background noise goes.
0: No, no you gotta you gotta love the uh, the NFL season sprinkled in with the with the college and I am I don't know if I'm not I'm not saying I'm not an NFL fan because I'm obviously a huge NFL fan um, but it's not as big for me as it used to be uh, just I don't it just feels like the game has changed a little bit. And I just feel like, like you mentioned, just college is kind of where it's at for me. If I had to choose one of the two, I mean, I still love both. Um, yeah. And I still watch the NFL, um, you know, way too much, probably. Uh, but <laughs> it's, uh, if I'm choosing between the two, it's college. But, you know, it's, uh, that could be because, Tim, you know, we, uh, we went to a Power 5 school in Virginia Tech. And, you know, I was, I was at the game this weekend little home opener action. I think it was the first home opener I've been to since uh since I was a student. So it'd been a it'd been a minute. And right. the reason I bring it up, it just felt different there this weekend. And I remember when I was a freshman I walked out of East Ampler Johnston for the first game of the season. We were playing Northeastern. It was two thousand six. Oh man, I obviously remember that game like yesterday. Obviously not a huge opponent But I remember walking out, and the thing I see is Lot 1, and it's just decked out. Right. And I mean, packed to the gills. People are tailgating. There's, like, just tons of activity. Yesterday felt more like there was a scrimmage being played in the middle of June, as far Mm. as the tailgating scene felt. And it was just, and we were in Lot 1, which is, like, the lot. Like, right next to the stadium. And I don't know. Right. I don't know if that's, like, a bad thing for the program. I mean, it's a noon game. It's Old Dominion. It's not a huge opponent. I get that. But it's still the home opener, right? So I just expected sure. it to be a little bit better attended, I guess. And then, you know, obviously it wasn't a sellout, at least. I don't know if they called it a sellout or not. But wasn't exactly uh, the most crowded lane stadium I'd ever seen. It was still pretty loud to start, but... You know, by halftime, we've got, you know, majority of the student section gone. You know, they, they didn't come back for the second <laughs> half, uh, which is right, when things right. started getting a little bit interesting. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I just bring it up because it was an interesting dynamic and something I haven't really experienced at Virginia Tech. It's, it's always been a very, uh, you know, fun, kind of exciting environment. Yesterday, I mean, it's not that it wasn't fun. It's not that it wasn't exciting. It just wasn't what it was. So I just thought I'd mention that.
1: Yeah, and and you know it could be a lot of things. Uh, I don't know if the administration has done any clamping down on tailgating. uh, You know, because we don't get the uh, updates that we used to get. uh, You know, being students on campus, you were kind of more plugged into that buzz. But if you go back and look at it, I mean, Northeastern was a twelve o'clock noon game uh, against a very much inferior opponent, and I just remember that game being absolutely crazy. That introduction to tailgating at Virginia Tech was really cool so it's kind of a shame to hear that it wasn't quite up to those standards anymore
0: and yeah, i mean it, it could have just been my lot but i was in the lot right in front of lane stadium so I right mean, that lot is typically the most crowded um but you know is what it is the uh the game on the field tim so <sighs> i'm glad we're not doing this immediately after the game because i don't think i would have been able to put together like a lot of great thoughts um but sitting back and just trying to kind of digest what we saw. You know, I'll I'll start with some of the positives. I thought Ryan sure. Willis played better. He um, did. He. I wish we would throw the ball downfield more because he throws a great deep ball. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, yesterday, you know, it was very clear who the more talented team was on the field. Uh, and that was Virginia Tech. I don't think that is going to surprise anybody or anybody's really going to disagree with that but you know you we look at games that we'll talk about a little bit later like UVA against William & Mary and NC State against um, Western Carolina and you know Duke against North Carolina A&T and you know those games are pretty much over at halftime right and the first team Maybe played a couple of series in the third quarter, but then after that, it was it was the second team for those schools, and that's what I wanted out of this game, and that's what I expected, and it didn't happen, um, and I don't know why that is right now. It's just, it seems like we can't get into a rhythm offensively, a consistent rhythm, and it just, it felt kind of like a, a stale game for me a little bit yesterday, like, You know, I don't think the game was as close as the score indicates. It didn't feel that way. Now, at times it did. uh, But it just, going back to what Fuente says about play calling and execution, defensively yesterday it was an execution issue because we just could not make a play in the backfield. And the amount of missed tackles. Oh, man. The amount of the the number of sacks that Virginia Tech could have had, I think they had four that they should have had, or even just tackles for loss. I mean, just missed opportunity after missed opportunity it allowed them to extend drives and you know, it ended up not mattering yesterday. But at the same time, that is going to matter down the line. And the good part of it is it's week two. So I don't wanna overreact too much to that. This is still a young football team. I'm getting a little tired of using that excuse, but it is. And at the same time, it's like we've got Furman next week to kind of shore some things up. I think some things will get shored up, but again, it's Furman. And so then you got a, a bye week, and then you got Duke if you're Virginia Tech. So the, the the bulk of the schedule's coming. I still don't feel confident that they can beat every I, – I, I feel confident they can beat any team in the ACC. I'm just not confident they will. And so right. um, it's just this kind of weird in-between. The offense felt very stale at, at times. It felt very slow. And, I mean, other than, you know, the first quarter they had they had 10 points. And it's just you, you want your team to come out and execute a little bit better against such an inferior opponent. So I don't know where you stand on kind of that overall standpoint. And then I've got a couple of other things after, you know, you say your your opening statements here that I really want to jump into um, and hopefully I can uh, you know, talk through it a little bit better than I could yesterday.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to add on what you, uh, what you listed there. I thought it was nice. We saw some glimpses of, of maybe what the uh, Hokies' future is going to be like with uh, Keyshawn King, what he was able to do. Um, the thing that kind of wore me out a little bit was that these complaints that we're having right now with this Virginia Tech football team, are the same complaints that we had going into the offseason, are the same complaints that we had in the season last year. Um, And it's frustrating, and we'll get into this. Uh, There's no point really dwelling over the game. Virginia Tech won. It was an ugly win. It was a boring win. There was no swagger to be had on the field. There was no passion on the sidelines. Um, There wasn't a whole lot of passion in the stands uh, like we're used to seeing. Uh, and I think part of that is fatigue. I don't think that Hokie fans are going out and enjoying their time at Lane Stadium, uh, you know, in the past year or so. And, and I don't know that they're seeing hope that it's going to get any better at this point. Um, but, but take from that what you will. The product on the field was good enough to get a win over ODU. Uh, the talent on that team, though, the, the score should have been a, a much farther stretch than it was. It shouldn't have been a two-touchdown affair. But that's what we were dealt Ryan Willis looks a lot better. As you said, I wish we would throw the deep ball more, period. Now, just with Ryan Willis, because Josh Jackson had the same issue. We would never throw deep with him. We wouldn't even test it. Now, I think Ryan's got a much better deep ball than Josh. But part of my complaints with our offense is the lack of aggression. Um, And I think you saw that rear its ugly head again. Uh, You know, and the run game was what it was. It was boring. Uh, The scheme, I think, is very poor. I wish we would run some counters some off-tackle stuff that was a little quicker to the line of scrimmage. Um, It seems like every run we take is built off the read option, and I don't like that if your quarterback is Ryan Willis. Um, So I don't think we're very flexible in our run game, and I think that hurts us because our runs take so long to develop. Uh, You know, if you look at Wake and what they do with the read option, uh, Newman almost keeps the ball for five seconds back there before he ends up handing it off. It's absurd how long he keeps it. But when you have a guy like like Newman, at quarterback, you're able to have the defense completely respect the run from the quarterback. Right now, Ryan Willis, you don't really have to key on him. And if you, if you have a decent enough defense, you can have the speed to make up and make those tackles. So, um, you know, we saw those frustrations with the run game. Passing game looked okay. Uh, obviously, reducing the turnovers is nice. And as you said, the defense was, they were, they got the job done. They didn't get completely trounced, which was great, but man, I—so many blown tackles, and it's so frustrating coming from Bud Foster defense uh, to see those guys out there flying around uh, and, and not making tackles. And and again, it's it's one of those things too where um, this defense is markedly less athletic than what we're used to seeing too. And I think I think we're gonna have to come to terms with that and kind of uh, tweak our expectations. Uh, going forward on the season based on what we've seen so far. But that's really my opening statement is it wasn't what we expected. It was much less than what we expected. And there are a myriad of reasons as to why that's disappointing.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I saying this about the defense, I thought the defense played, you know, like I expected them to play in the first half. You know, they, it was a pretty dominant performance. I felt like they weren't making the mistakes or at least the number of mistakes that they were making in the second half. Which, okay, so I don't like to see that, and that's part of what happened last year was the team came out, it felt like a little bit unprepared in the second half, or for the second half, or not ready to make whatever adjustments they needed to make. What bothered me the most was Virginia Tech knew they were going to come out, Old Dominion was going to come out and run the football. I mean, they just, they don't have the athletes to match up in the passing game, and for Stone Smart making his second, you know, start for the school after, you know, playing in junior college last season, like, it's a it's a big ask for him to go out and throw the ball a number of times. And for the most part, we held them in check on the ground until probably about towards the latter part of that third quarter, which is when the game really started to kind of take this weird little turn. And so, I mean, it was only 24-3 by that point. And so it was just, again, right. this sleepy pace, where, you know, I don't really find it to be acceptable against a team like Old Dominion. Like, you shouldn't be settling for field goals more often than you're, you know, trying to punch the ball into the end zone against Old Dominion. This is Agreed. a bottom-tier program at the moment. And I know they beat Virginia Tech last year, but they are also 4-8. and eight, And they play in Conference USA or whatever, you know conference they play in that's nothing against them it's just the talent level is not anywhere near a power five and we play like it is virginia tech plays down to the opponent in this case and that's just what's got to stop with with the fuente offense now a couple of things that really uh you know ticked me off for lack of a better word yesterday uh first i'll start with the officiating there were a number of plays down the field and I'll say it was on a couple of deep balls where basically the old Dominion defenders would just tackle the Virginia Tech receivers and no flags yeah. were flown, thrown whatsoever, which was surprising to me because they were throwing every flag on Caleb Farley. That seemed pretty, pretty neck pick at times. Um, right. That being said, the, the play that really bothered me was the Ryan Willis fumble play because the officials took seven, eight, nine minutes to... To look at that and instead of seeing if he fumbled, the thing that happened over and over was the defender making head-to-head contact with Ryan Willis. Right. So if we're trying to prevent player safety and trying to, you know, make sure players are safe and take, you know, head hits out of the game, not saying the guy did it intentionally, but we're going to call a fumble on a guy. After he gets hit square in the face, he's probably going to fumble or be a little bit unaware of his surroundings. And yeah, he fumbled the ball. But to me, if we're going to review that for that, then we need to be able to go back and say, that's a personal foul. You know, that's targeting. That's whatever it is you want to call it. Because in college football, that pretty much is targeting. You know, that player's ejected. But they didn't call it, didn't address it. And then Fuente decides, you know what, Ryan, you're just not going to go back in. And he alluded to the fact that he said first he was concerned about the injury, but then he he, he threw in this little comment at the end to where he's like, I also didn't like the turnover. And so <laughs> Fuente clearly went into this game saying, if you turn the ball over, you're not going to play. Right. And that was Willis's first turnover of the game. It was obviously very late. The game was already in hand. There was really no reason for him to come back in. Now the one thing—the one thing that really, just I cannot make any sense of—is the Keyshawn King situation because this guy gets a touchdown on the opening drive. He only touches the ball six times, and there was a play where you know forward progress was stopped, and then they call. They they said he would have fumbled it if it wasn't wasn't stopped. Well, guess what? The play was blown dead. Okay, he didn't fumble. All right. He didn't fumble and then recover the fumble. He just didn't fumble. Kevin uh, kashan King came out of the game and did not return. And then Fuente more or less just kind of throws him under the bus uh, in the press conference with the comment of. You know, we uh, we need to hold on to the ball here. We need ball security. And then Deshaun McLeese finally uh, fumbles later in the game. And, you know, he did come out. I think he got back on the field. I can't remember. But it, it was just kind of weird to me because King is a, a freshman, okay? And games against Old Dominion and games against Furman are critically important games for guys like that. Yeah. Because it lets them get into a rhythm get some extra rest behind an offensive line and some game action, and that way they're ready to go in conference play. But no, we're going to pull the kid out of the game. He's not going to see the field. What I think that happened in the first quarter. He's not going yep. to come back onto the field the entire game against a team where maybe we should be able to run the ball more for other than 39 carries for 131 yards. Okay? It was just... I, it was just a decision I had never really expected to see, especially after your quarterback has four turnovers last week, and then you're gonna call out a true freshman running back who didn't fumble and make an example out of him. I just I didn't right. like the look, and it's clear to me that Deshaun mccleese is just not going to be able to carry the load. No. You know, he had twenty carries for sixty four yards. He's a good back. I like him in situational kind of settings certain packages he's just not the bell cow that this offense clearly needs uh, but doesn't have and uh, that the play calling really just isn't suited for so those are the two things that really kind of uh, stood out to me was one some of the egregious miscalls from the officiating and two uh, the you know if you turn the ball over you're not going to step foot back onto the field so I don't know where you stand on that I'm sure it's a a similar kind of tone but I mean,
1: it makes me very. It, it almost makes me angry. You can kind of get a peek behind the curtain and see why Fuente may rub certain players the wrong way. So if you're gonna be a, a hard ass and be this, uh, you know, preacher of we can't turn the ball over, or zero tolerance on the turnovers, then what was Ryan Willis doing on the field last week? That's one. Those kind of inconsistencies really are not good looks when you're talking about leadership and, and head coaching kind of things. But he talking about that Keyshawn King thing. It blows my mind. Like you said, it was detrimental to the team. It was detrimental to Keyshawn individually. Um, and there was nothing to gain by saying by saying that. Say he did take him out for those reasons. He doesn't need to say that in a press conference. He doesn't need to throw King under the bus because now that's going to be an issue in the back of King's head all year is that even if you don't turn the ball over, your coach isn't going to trust you. And that's a, that's a problem in, of, in and of itself. And I don't I don't like the way it was handled uh, to begin with, and I don't like the fact that he's making those decisions. I don't feel like it's important enough uh, to bench a guy when you really need to get these guys reps, and what better team to do it against than ODU? He was looking fantastic, and he was pulled, and I just I don't understand it for the life of me. I don't like it, and and I, you, know, you can sort of see. I think Trayvon McMillan kind of had issues like this with Fuente too. I'm not going to speculate and say that's why he left, but... Um, you know, you could certainly kind of connect the dots there. So the other thing that really, and and you probably agree with me on this one too, the most disheartening thing for me, and I've been preaching this uh, since day one, is we can't run on anybody. It doesn't matter who they are. We can't run on anybody. If we can't run on ODU with an offensive line that's experienced, and, and make no mistake, Preseason we were talking about how solid of an offensive line they should be, how solid that room was going to be this year. If we can't run against old Dominion, and n- note, we have not effectively run on anyone under in Justin Fuente's tenure, definitely not consistently, we have a scheme issue. My worry is that we haven't addressed that in four years. This is this being midway through the fourth. Or, you know, not even midway, but you get the point. Right. I don't know when that's going to change. That's what's so concerning to me is if you look at our rushing numbers, we're getting outrushed by ODU, man. When you look at the line versus their defensive line, there's no way we shouldn't have any issue pushing these guys around. And we can't control the line of scrimmage. And we still, that, that is the biggest problem I see with this Virginia Tech team. We have so many of these legacy issues. And I don't know if this is a lack of self-awareness or what it is. But we have these legacy issues that never seem to get fixed. And I'm just worried that these things are going to continue to be issues and will never point out what the problems are. Because if you're talking about an offensive line that hasn't improved in four years, you need to start looking at the offensive line coach. If you talk about an, o- an offensive line and an offense that hasn't been able to generate solid, a solid rushing attack, to be, because make no mistake, we're trying to be a balanced team. It's not for lack of attempts. And over four years, we haven't been able to correct or address that. And the scheme still looks the same as it did when Gerard Evans was back there taking snaps. I think we have some major issues. And that is so frustrating to me personally. And I know it's frustrating to Hokie fans. And I think it's feeding into that game day atmosphere. It's so weird seeing Lane as empty as it is now. And, you know, I get it. With the advent of all the HDTVs at home and, and the, the cheap beer on your couch, I understand why somebody wouldn't want to go out and pay all that money. But Hokey fans are a different breed. And and to see this, this lack of passion, and it's not a lack of passion. It's certainly reduced passion with the way that I view it. And some of the apathy that started to set in, I'm starting to get worried. Because everyone on that football staff seems apathetic. Well, the, crazy,
0: the thing with the rushing game, it's like, okay, if you're going to bench King, you know, Holston's out injured. You know, McLeese got 20 carries yesterday. He had 64 yards against Old Dominion. And I'm not saying it's all a McCleese issue. It, you know, maybe the offensive line's not getting the push. And, you know, it, it does feel like the offensive line gets pushed around yeah. quite a bit more than they should. Um, I mean, we got some big guys up on that offensive line. So... You know they've got to be able to control the game, and they did they did well in pass coverage yesterday. I, I didn't really have any any uh, any issues with the production that they had there. But you know we're just we're we're not playing physical enough in the run game, and we got to go back to this nope. smash mouth type of football. If we're going to run the ball thirty nine times, we threw the ball twenty eight times. Right. We ran the ball thirty nine times. So that to me tells me we right. we want to run the football. So. Yep. Maybe we try a, a couple of different backs back there. Terry Sweetly had a big play on the kickoff return. Maybe put him back there. Where's he? You know, there's a number of other guys that that can come in and get carries. I haven't seen them on the field. So it's like, I, I don't know what the attachment is to Deshaun McLeese, to be honest, in this offense, but it's it's frustrating. Um, and like I said, I'm not hating on Deshaun McLeese here. I think he's a fine situational back. He's just not the guy you want running the ball 20 times a game, okay? So, I just, I hope they can figure this out. You know, one of the things about a game like this is your personnel packages, they're going to be much more limited. You know, you're not going to be running your full-scale offense, because you you go in there, you expect to win. You know, you can adapt if you need to, like last year, but... That just really isn't the case with a game like this. So, I'm not like super shocked about how yesterday went. Uh, I am disappointed in it. Uh, I do want to come out and shut out Furman and not see, you know, a 24-3 to score at <laughs> halftime. Um, because it's Furman. Right. And it's an FCS opponent. But at the same time, it's like, I just feel like Virginia Tech right now is playing down to every opponent. I do feel like they're competitive. And I, I definitely feel like they're playing hard. And so that's that's the one thing that you need to watch throughout the entire season. Because if you see this queen team quit, similar to how Florida State's quit over the last few years, then that to me signals more of a higher level issue. Cool. And, uh, and, you know, for Tech fans that You know, go on the message boards and they're on social media and they're like, fire Fuente, we gotta move on. It's just like just just hit the relax button on that because Yeah. He's not going to be fired. So put your energy towards something else and just understand that this is a young team. I do think they're gonna be competitive this year. I don't think they're gonna have nine wins, ten wins. Right now, my guess would be they're not going to win the coastal. But maybe that's okay for this season, and if we see a team that starts to get better over the course of the year, I think right now, as a Virginia Tech fan, as Virginia Tech fans, you should be okay with that, and I will say that this defense looks far better than it did last year to this point, okay, if you take away the Florida yeah. State game. So, yeah. there is an encouragement level there, they just need to execute better, and do. The defensive execution is what is really what really stood out yesterday. Now, at the same time, you only put up 31 points against Old Dominion. You know that's a red flag to me. But that's bad. Th- there were a few plays where you had you know Tavian Robinson dropping a wide open pass. He probably goes 50 yards with that thing. There was nobody in front of him. So yeah, yeah he there the are one. small things that need to be cleaned up. Um, but until they get that run game figured out, or until they just leave it behind. Like, choose one one or the other because what you're doing right now isn't working. So if you can't run the football, then just stop because you're not fooling anybody and you're stalling out all your offensive drives with these one- and two-yard rushes on first, second, and third down, and it's just not working. You know, it's two weeks in a row. Right. you failed miserably at the run game against, you know, Last or this week against the ODU, an inferior opponent that you should have been able sure. to just wipe the floor with. So that's how I'll leave it. I mean, I think, again, I don't think this guy's falling in Blacksburg. I'd like to see them play better. I'd like to see them play with higher energy. I'd like to see a faster paced offense. Um, I'd like to see more shots taken down the field. I just I'd like the aggressive button to be turned up a quite a few notches from where it's at today because we just seem to right. be in like a very conservative mode of football. I don't know why that is on the offensive standpoint. I expected this offense to be much better than it has shown to be so far this season. and That, to me, has been the biggest frustration.
1: Yeah, and so the running thing, we talked about that last podcast. Basically, my main frustration with the offense over the years has been the lack or the abundance of three and outs that have really hurt our ability to sustain drives and has put the defense behind the eight ball. You fix that running game, I think you fix that three and out problem completely. Um, I'm with you on Fuente. I don't think he needs to be fired necessarily. Um, One, obviously, he's got an enormous buyout. So, you know, scowl wit on that one if you want to. Uh, But two, it's just, I, I think he's too close to that great season that we had with Gerard Evans, his first season to go ahead and and castigate him and say he's a terrible head coach. I will say this, though. It's time for him to start showing some self-awareness. It's time for him to make some changes. And if he doesn't make changes and we continue to run into the same issues, I'm not too far from hopping on that bandwagon. Because the head coach's job is to make changes when changes are needed to be made. We needed changes last season. We hardly got any. And I'm talking about offensive changes. What scares me is if we see no improvement in that offense, we're going to go into the off season and have to replace Bud. And then we're going to go ahead, and I guarantee you, the mantra of, well, you don't want to replace two of your offensive co- or two coordinators at the same time is going to be brought up. And that's going to be an issue for me if we don't improve. Now, I hope we're going to improve, but the historical evidence points to the fact that we don't change very much to our own detriment. So I'm with you. Let's not fire. Let's not jump on that fire Fuente bandwagon. Let's cool it because obviously one game, two games isn't enough of a sample for you to, to just cast him away at this point in time. But it is time for changes. It is time to start making some some wholesale addressing of the schemes that we run, the way that we do things. And I don't want it to come down to a players meeting at the end of the season where uh, you know they demand turkey bacon. And demand to have a little more fun around the place. I, I want some self awareness. I want Fuente to make these changes before, uh, you know, the village riots.
0: You just had to bring the turkey bacon into this, didn't you?
1: I did. I can't leave it out. It's so ridiculous <laughs> to me that article is so ridiculous.
0: All right. And well, clearly so,
1: the turkey bacon didn't help a whole lot.
0: No, it doesn't help much at all. Doesn't help much at all. But no. again, like more of a. You know, I, I try not to be negative. I don't want a negative tone necessarily, but um, it was just hard it's to be difficult. super positive after the uh, game yesterday. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's still a victory. So last year, it's it's much better than than the result of last year. Uh, but there's still work to do. So um, yeah. it's again, it's a young football team. I think if they start executing better and the defense can play a really consistent game for four quarters, uh, which hasn't happened yet. This season, um, I'll start to feel better about things. And even if it happens mm. next week, I'll be glad to see it. I'm not going to be, uh, you know, ecstatic because it should happen. You're playing Furman. Um, yeah. But I, I think once we get into conference play, Duke, Miami, th- that'll be kind of the measuring stick that that I look for there. So let's, oh, yeah. uh, let's go yeah, ahead and, and jump and that, around.
1: That's definitely true.
0: Yeah, so let's go ahead and jump oh. around to the ACC, Tim. Uh, first game I want to talk about uh, – the shocker of the weekend, maybe. UNC over Miami. So, 1st and 0-2 start since 1978 for the O Hurricanes. Uh, the offensive line played, a little, I mean, better than they did against Florida. Still allowed four sacks. Uh, still had a few uh, few penalties thrown. Jared Williams, once again, I thought it was really good. Uh, you know, 30 for 39, yeah. over 300 yards passing. Uh, the first Miami quarterback to have 30 completions since Brad Kaya in 2016. So, you know, Miami's definitely got their quarterback. Um, they just need to keep him upright. And, you know, I, I don't think it was really on the offense in this game. Uh, I think they scored enough points to win. Uh, it was really about the defense. And I would say, uh, you know, through the first two games of the season, the defense hasn't really been what we thought it would, specifically that the secondary for Miami. Right. Um there was obviously a play late in the game, right under three minutes left, and it's fourth and 17, and North Carolina converts and then goes on to score the go-ahead touchdown with one and a, one minute left. So that's obviously a dagger, you know. A, a Miami of or a defense of Miami's caliber, you know, you don't expect fourth and 17 to ever be converted, and it did, and it cost them. So you know, Miami really should have probably won this game. You know, their kicker, Bubba Baxa, he missed the game-tying 49-yard field goal at the end of the game. He also missed a 26-yarder and had an extra point blocked earlier in the game. On the flip side, Tim, Sam Howell looks like the real deal. I mean, this guy, he makes some big-time throws. He plays great under pressure. Uh, he's not afraid of a of a big situation. He has showed two weeks in a row that he can you know put the team on his back and lead a, a very successful drive down the field to score points, specifically touchdowns, uh, to put North Carolina in position to win. So, you know, from a freshman quarterback, you cannot really ask for more than Sam Howell has has given you, and you see why this guy was so hyped. And uh, Florida State has got to be uh, watching how how he's playing and kind of you know, besides themselves. So uh, I thought it was a big win for North Carolina. Um, I don't know. I I don't know if I'm ready to buy into them yet as a like legit coastal contender, you know, later in the season. But at this point, I would say we we should probably start thinking that way. So I don't know what you thought about the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, kind of similar thoughts. I think uh, Sam obviously looked really, really good. That touchdown pass to Daz Newsome. Uh, the last touchdown pass specifically in the fourth quarter was just thrown with such perfect anticipation. It was such a perfect ball as Daz was getting towards the sideline there in the end zone. Um, That's a big time throw. Sam makes big time throws. And, um, you know, I think that's going to keep Carolina in any discussion that you have about potential, uh, potentially winning the coastal, but in order for Carolina to win, I think that's going to require a lot of chaos at the top. So if we have you know a three-loss Coastal champion, which is not out of the realm of possibility with the way it looks now, I'd be more surprised if the Coastal winner didn't have three losses. But um, I, I don't know if I'm ready there. If you look at the game, and I, I watched the bulk of this game, um, Miami really gave the game away in a lot of regards. I think they outgamed Carolina by about 100 yards, and they just looked the more dominant team. Sometimes those breaks just don't go your way. And again, Sam Howell, can't say enough about him, kept Carolina moving, kept the chains going, and, and that defense for Carolina was opportunistic and, and played great bend but don't break defense. Um, I, do, I do see some problems with Carolina uh, in regards to that defense that I, I think a better offense would have had a lot easier time than Miami did. Um, I don't think Miami, for whatever reason, Miami's offensive line just makes the the whole team feel like they're not clicking. Even though when you look at their stats on paper, Jaron Williams had a monster game at 30 for 39, uh, DJ Dallas broke a hundred yards again. Um, you know, he looks great, but for some reason they, they have so many negative plays that you just, something doesn't feel quite right with them. And I think, you know, it's part of having a new offensive coordinator and those kinks will get worked out. Um, but it's weird. I'm not way high on North Carolina after this, like a lot of people seem to be. And I'm not super low on Miami, like a lot of people seem to be after this. I I see a good team in that Miami uh, sideline, on that Miami sideline. I see a good
0: team yeah, there. They're good just team not, or not putting it all together. They, uh, yeah, they got to figure it out. So you got to come away with wins. Uh, two disappointing losses for Miami to start the season. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I think they can definitely get the ship righted. So uh, another team that has not started the season uh, very well, Tim, uh our friends down there in uh, old Tallahassee, Florida State. Oof. So the old Seminoles, they, they were up big once again and, uh, you know, just blew the lead against UL Monroe. So this time it was a 21-point lead. Uh, they actually had to, like, fight back to even tie the game up towards the end of the game. My biggest takeaway from this was, Hey, you, and Monroe, on Why are you not going for two? Yeah. After you get the overtime touchdown, yeah. like that was my initial thought. I'm like, they're going for two here. Right. Because you don't want to yeah. have to defend Florida state 25 yards in. Like that's just not going to work no. out for you. Most likely you just don't have the athletes to keep up. And I know it's like, well, you know, they're tied with them in overtime. Sure. But if you're you Monroe, you want to win that game as quickly as possible, and the fact that you missed the extra point is a really bitter pill to swallow. But I was just surprised that they uh, they didn't go for two in that situation because if you if you lose the game, it's I mean if you yeah if you lose the game going out like that, like nobody's gonna blame you. Nah. But you you miss the PAT, you know, it's something completely different. But you know the the big thing, Tim, is this defense for Florida State gave up over 400 yards. Had three turnovers, 11 penalties, 44 points allowed, and honestly, if it wasn't for Cam Akers, who had a huge game, you know, carried the ball 36 times, which was a school record, had 193 yards rushing, had almost 250 uh, all-purpose yards, you know, if it wasn't for him, you know, Florida State probably loses by two two touchdowns in this game, and uh, you know the offensive line issues are starting to pop up again. You know they've been without Cole Minshew, who's got a neck injury. Uh, they lost their starting left tackle in Joanna Williams, um, who left the game hurt. And uh, really, it's it's both the defensive and offensive line for Florida State that needs substantial improvement. And uh, you know you've got UVA coming up next week on the road. You know they've got a lot of work to do in order to get prepared for that game and have a you know legit chance to win, which I think they will have a chance, obviously. But this team just it cannot play a full game and i just don't understand why
1: yeah i mean they're they're another team like miami right now running into the same issues where they get, they're getting penalized and they're just doing stupid stuff um there was an unnecessary roughness call in that game uh, in the second half that was just so it, it, it was just so brain dead the defender making the play roughing the quarterback right uh, it just it was unbelievable i don't know if you remember the one i'm talking about or not yeah um
0: It's just like, what are you you thinking?
1: Yeah. It it seems like coaching to me. When you see these issues, it it always goes back to the coach. Like, okay, the team's not disciplined. All eyes go to the head coach. And I don't think that's unfair in this case. I think a lot of FSU's issues are self-inflicted. But if you look at that defense, there are big problems on that side of the ball. That offensive line, too, like you said, is crumbling. Uh, No reason ULM should have the ease uh, of running the ball they had against uh, against Florida State. So, one, that was crazy. Two, I just thought it was pretty cool that Caleb Evans is Gerard Evans's brother, uh, ULM's quarterback, uh, absolutely had a fantastic day. Stats-wise, he didn't pop off the paper, but especially towards the end of the game, he was threading the needle on some throws and just keeping that team going up and down the field. It was something else to watch. Um, but, yeah, I, I wish we had Caleb Evans. That would be a fun guy to have in the quarterback room.
0: Uh, there you go. You know, maybe uh, maybe in a grad transfer situation, Tim. We'll uh, who knows? You know, we'll see who him knows? in the ACC one day.
1: But yeah, uh, I'm with you. If you're a Group of Five team, you've got to have that two point play ready to go in situations where you tie these games up late. There's right. no reason to get into overtime slugfest with teams that have three times the depth and and, and almost twice the talent. Just yeah, it's just it not going to
0: end well. And how it ended no. is really rough. Um, but. You know, Heartbreak. is what it is. So maybe next year when they play again, they'll uh, they'll go for two. So, sure. Uh, Clemson A and M Tim. So Brent Venables wanted to leave no doubt uh, about Cle- the Clemson defense in this one, and uh, they succeeded. So oh, yeah. you know they had. Dabo said that they had six personnel packages ready to go for this defense. They had two last week for Georgia Tech to put that in perspective. So. What that means is they were trying to do their best to confuse the hell out of A and M, uh, and that appears to have happened. So, you know, this game was really controlled by Clemson from start to finish. Just watching some of the throws that Trevor Lawrence makes is just, mm. uh, it's just, it's just like you know, if if I was going into an art museum, I would expect to see a video of Trevor Lawrence throwing the ball down the field to a receiver oh, yeah. over his back shoulder uh Mm. over two defenders i mean just some of the throws were just incredible and he just puts it on the money every time uh you know this was one of their biggest tests of the year they passed with flying colors score finished up 24 10 you know a&m got a really late score it was 24 3 um until like the final 10 seconds of the game um you know the aggies didn't just they just didn't execute well enough in order to beat a team like clemson they were a little bit sloppy uh kellen Mann was really held in check for the most part uh, he was 24 or 42. Did have the one touchdown, had a pick, um, and uh, 121 of the passing yards he had came in the fourth quarter. Um, so he he played okay in the fourth quarter, I guess. But um, you know, Mod was a guy that Clemson knew they had to stop uh, in order to win this game, and, and they did uh, with flying colors. So, good win for Clemson. Uh, not going to say I'm, like, super surprised. I thought A&M looked okay. I don't think they're going to fare well against the LSU and the Georgia and the Alabamas uh, that they have coming up. Um, but, you know, they might be able to pull one of those games out. We'll see. Um, but... Business as usual for Clemson. Uh, off to Syracuse next week, and we'll talk about that game here in a second.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I don't want to. There's not a whole lot to add there. You kind of touched on everything. I just thought it was pretty crazy that they were able to bottle up uh, Etienne on the other side of the ball on the ground. Uh, I think he was a 16 carries, 53 yards. So uh, that's not a lot going on for Etienne. He was the Heisman leader after his Week One performance. Um, you know he still ended up with over 100 all-purpose yards because he had some uh you know about 50 receiving yards too so texas a m did some good things defensively their rushing offense which i thought had potential to really do something against Clemson absolutely did nothing uh Corbin and spiller were all just completely hampered uh you know about 20 carries between them for 50 yards so uh you know great job by the Clemson defense I think venables is just he's the greatest assistant in college football. And I don't think there's any question at this point, uh, the consistency at which he's turned out dominant defenses is just mind blowing at this point. Um, and as you said, some of the throws Trevor made the one, especially rolling left um, way left, yeah. rolling out and, yeah, yeah. And, and throwing it 40 yards on the run with pinpoint accuracy. It's just, you don't see guys doing that in college football and, uh, holy cow! Some of those throws, man. Like you said, it's like watching Michelangelo paint the Sistine Chapel. Um, it's crazy, but uh, yeah, Clemson's got a, you know, they got a big win. Uh, Texas A&M, they go off to a, a brutal schedule and see what they can do. But uh, yeah, I, I certainly thought the game would be slightly closer than it was, um, you know. But hey, we move on. We didn't learn a whole lot about either team, I don't think, except for the fact that Clemson remains outstanding on defense, and that's. Full credit to Venables and what he does.
0: Uh, So one team that really surprised us, Tim, was Syracuse on Saturday. And, uh, you know, defense is what's really carried them over the last year. And there's really just not much to say about this game other than they just got absolutely demolished by Maryland. And uh, it's going to cost them college game day next week with Clemson in town. Um, Syracuse allowed 650 yards, 354 rushing. Um, Maryland had four different running backs rush for at least 67 yards and they all had at least one touchdown. Um, they scored a touchdown on seven of their eight first possessions or 11 for 15 on third downs. And, you know, Josh Jackson had, had a great day as well throwing for four touchdowns. So You know, the one positive takeaway I had for Syracuse here was uh, DeVito played a little bit better. Um, You know, if you just look at his stat line, it looked pretty good. Um, There were a couple of really bad decisions he made in this game uh, that led to two, uh, the two turnovers he had led to two Maryland touchdowns. So he's got to get a little bit cleaner. Um, I mean, everything on Syracuse does really to this point, so... Uh, tough, A tough uh, tough road loss for them. Uh, really shocking, um, the fact that they allowed that many points. But they've got Clemson next week. Not a lot of time to uh, feel down on yourself, because if you do, the same thing's going to happen. So they got to get back to the drawing board. I think Dina will have those guys ready to go. But um, I think we're seeing that this Syracuse team probably isn't going to be as good as last year's version.
1: No, it, it doesn't seem that way. Um, Although, you know, they've got time for DeVito to settle in. They can figure out what they're trying to do on the ground game, um, you know, as far as what they're going to do between Abdul Adams and Moneal. Uh, And and with Babers, you hate to count out that Syracuse team at this point, but that was a shocking differential in the score. And Maryland, the ease at which they, they dealt with the Syracuse defense was super surprising to me. Uh, Given that I thought Syracuse, and I still do, I still think Syracuse has got one of the better defenses in the ACC. So, um, you know, it's surprising. Loxley's doing big things. You know, shout out to Josh Jackson, former Hokie. Uh, Looked very good and uh, got it done there. But, you know, we kind of saw that as a trap game. Uh, I, I think I picked them on our last podcast and them being Maryland to win that game. It just didn't seem like it was setting up right for Syracuse after that kind of mediocre performance against Liberty on the offensive side of the ball. And again, the first two scores of the year, 24 against Liberty and 20 against Maryland. um, That's not what you expect to see out of a a Dina Babers coached football team. So on they go, if they can find some consistency and figure out how to score those points. Yeah, I I think we're talking about a team that's going to be uh, another, you know, another good Syracuse team. But there's a little doubt coming in with the inability to score and DeVito maybe not looking as comfortable as he should. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me,
0: it. It wasn't even the offense, really. I mean, you cannot give up 63 points ever in a football game, um, and that's oh, what that's, really just shocked me about this one. I mean, it's yeah, you know, it's a good defense. How they gave up 63 points, you know, it's uh, that was that was a little bit startling for me. But uh, you know, one team that looked uh, better than uh, I expected them to, and particularly one player that we've been Pretty hard on him, I'd say, is uh, Kenny Pickett and uh, Kenny, you know, this pit offense it looks much improved from a week ago, and he probably had the best game of his career yesterday or on Saturday. So, 26 for 37, yeah. 321 yards, uh, had a touchdown. Um, Ohio's second, Ohio's secondary does not appear to be the strongest. Uh, they did give up 300 yards for the year to Rhode Island, um, and then again to Pickett this week, so. You know, take that into consideration. Um, Defensively, Pitt looked really good. They had six sacks. Jalen Timon had three sacks of his own, which was the most by a Pitt defensive lineman since Aaron Donald did it back in 2011. So Mm. big day for him. Uh, Overall, I thought it was a nice win for Pitt. Uh, Let's see if they can build off of that, you know, give Pickett a little bit of confidence as they they head into uh, a little bit more of a difficult schedule. So... Um, I thought it was a nice rebound from the UVA game last week, uh, but still not entirely sure how how much value to put into the offense performance just because of Ohio's experience against Rhode Island the week before.
1: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, Ohio didn't look very good. Um, Pitt looked good. Pickett looked good. Um, you know Maurice French absolutely looked fantastic, and, and what a target he was for Pickett in that game, uh, going ten for one thirty-eight and a touchdown. Not to mention the work he does, uh, you know, off off of the uh, wide receiving game and in returns and things like that. But he's a dynamic playmaker, and if you're Pitt, that's the kind of guy you're looking for in this offense because the offense can totally get bogged down and stagnant at times. But you've got a guy in Maurice French that can really get vertical, get separation. Um, so it was really cool to see him, him have the game that he had. Uh, you know, just wanted to shout out AJ Davis had a really good game for the Panthers as well. Average 6.8 yards per carry, 13 for 89. Um, they put it together on offense, and we'll see if that's something they're going to be able to keep up. I, I'm not too sure that they will. As you said, Kenny Pickett, uncharacteristic, but as much crap as we give him, we got to kind of shout him out when he plays well, and, and he played extremely well. Um, especially compared to the week before. So uh, who knows? Uh, maybe Pitt isn't quite as bad as we maybe thought they were, but I think it's going to be hard to tell against a team like Ohio, who is clearly outmatched um, on that defensive side of the ball. So, uh, yeah, more coming there. Uh, sad to see the fighting Frank Soliches come out without a victory. Um, but, you know, maybe Kenny Pickett can can keep that play up and, and get Pitt cl- closer to that seven-win mark that I know that they would really like.
0: Uh, so speaking of wins, Georgia Tech got Jeff Collins there. His first win is head coach for the Yellow Jackets. Swaggy so G. Swaggy G uh, can add a little check mark to that win column. Uh, eight straight loss for USF, um, who Ooh. just seems to be kind of in disarray. They benched their quarterback uh, you know, in the third quarter. Uh, the one fun thing I, I heard about at this game was that the Georgia Tech student section uh, was making it rain three dollar bills because apparently (laughs) per the request of jeff collins and his staff you know there's some kind of saying they have called money down and then you know on third downs they uh the student section will throw up fake three dollar bills with jeff collins face on them
1: i'm okay with uh, that
0: that's uh that's a pretty little interesting uh interesting thing i i definitely want to see it i'm going to be looking for it next time i'm watching a georgia tech game so uh I I think we can officially say the swaggiest of uh, Power 5 conferences is definitely the ACC. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, he's got that awesome old-timey car. I think next time there's a turnover, uh, the defensive player that gets the turnover should be allowed to take a lap in that car while the game is happening.
0: Um, Yeah,
1: definitely. How cool would that be? So they need to use their resources better. You've mentioned all that needs to be mentioned on the gameplay itself, but I just got to say Charlie Strong is looking mighty weak right now. I'm not sure how Much longer he's going to be able to keep that spot in South Florida.
0: Uh, so our favorite Friday night team, Tim, uh, Wake Forest continues to roll. Jamie Wake Newman, Forest Friday, you know, over 300 yards again, three scores. His favorite target was Scotty Washington, who had seven catches for 158. Uh, Wake outgained Rice 513 to 321. Uh, they did. You know, struggled to move the ball on the ground at times. There was a big 96-yard touchdown run at one point in the game. Um, and Rice only had 67 yards rushing on 37 attempts. So that wake D had a really nice game. Uh, nice showing in the second half. Had four sacks, eight tackles for a loss. And, uh, hey, they got a big matchup coming up this week. Uh, and you guessed it, it's a Friday night, and they play North Carolina. So that'll be a fun uh, fun little ACC conference matchup on Friday this week that uh, that we'll have to look forward to.
1: Yeah, I, I'm really excited. I'm excited to preview that game because, uh, you know, there's some thoughts I want to add about those two getting together. But Newman continues to look great. Um, Wake Forest, you know, I thought they were going to be good coming in, but they may even exceed my expectations. Uh, you know, but, hey, they're really leaning into that Friday night thing, and I'm okay with it, man. Uh, Friday night football it's is underrated. Great promotion I mean, for them because they're on back TV. in the
0: day. You know, otherwise they're lost. Right. Right.
1: Right. Otherwise, they're lost. And, you know, you get the visibility, you get the national spotlight. But the other thing for us as viewers is, I mean, you remember, we didn't have Friday night games. We had Thursday night games. We had Saturday night games growing up. To have that void filled on a Friday night, you know, you for got sure. kids. If you're like me, you don't go out very often because you got the kid at home. Man, being able to pop on, a you know, an ACC game on a Friday night. I love it.
0: Uh, UVA William and Mary just hit on this one real quick. Uh, you know, first team really took care of business there in the first half. I think it was 35 3 at halftime. Uh, yeah. you know, the tribe only got a field goal against the first team defense. Uh, Perkins had three total touchdowns, he did throw two picks. Um, ended, I think he had a long streak of consecutive passes without an interception, but that came to an end. Um, you know, they didn't run the ball a lot. You know, Mike Collins led the team in rushing. I think he had 11 carries for 78 yards. So, you know, they did what they were expected to do. They took care of business. Uh, they got their uh, second and 13 some action there in the second half, uh, which is what you expect when you're playing a team like William and Mary. Um, and then, one thing of note this was the biggest crowd at Scott Stadium since playing Virginia Tech in 2017. And they had uh, a little bit over 45,000 people there. So it seems like uh, the attendance is on the uptick for uh, for Virginia. Um, and if they keep winning, I'm sure I'm sure more of those seats will be full to fill that 61,000-person stadium.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, Brennan Armstrong looked good in relief of Perkins. Um, the defense looked great. But, you know, it is Bill and Mary. We kind of expected that uh, going into this one. And uh, Virginia continues to look good. They're, they're looking like uh, like the media tabbed them as one of the favorites in the Coastal. Um, we'll see where it shakes out. But, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a solid win from UVA. And, uh, yeah, the, the attendance upticking makes complete sense. Um, and hopefully that leads to some, some exciting games in Scott Stadium this year. I know there's probably going to be a lot on the line for them later on in the season.
0: Uh, NC State looked good against Western Carolina, Bam Knight, over 100 yards on 18 carries, two scores, the team had over 300 yards rushing, Um, and Western Carolina, 10 straight loss, you know, they suspended four players for this game, including their starting quarterback, so uh, they didn't really have much of a chance, even before they stepped onto the field, and uh, NC State really held the, uh, only allowed 106 yards for the entire game, so Uh, Nice performance from the defense. Not sure if there's anything specific you wanted to call out from this one.
1: No, nothing to call out, really, other than the fact that, again, NC State's uh, four-headed monster at tailback seemed to do well again. Less Trent Penix and more uh, Jordan Houston. And um, Ricky Person, I thought, had a really good game. Obviously, Bam Knight looked incredible uh, going over 100 yards. And and NC State's success is going to be predicated by what they're able to do on the ground as that's going to free up what Matt McKay is able to do through the air and take some pressure off of him. So, uh, you know, mission accomplished,
0: and uh, NC State heads off to West Virginia next week. Uh, Boston College in Richmond, basically, again, another first half of play for the first team. Anthony Brown uh, picked up where he left off, three touchdowns. A.J. Dillon had two rushing touchdowns, one receiving. And then Zay Flowers on the opening drive had a nice 46-yard reverse touchdown run uh ended up with three carries for 92 yards so he uh continues to look like a star um on this offense so yeah. another good showing for boston college uh they do have uh, a matchup coming up on friday against kansas um which we should expect Ooh. them to be going 3-0 at this point
1: <laughs> right yeah that's going to be brutal um but yeah, <laughs> Zay flowers man wow that, that guy is looking like almost a lock for a Rookie of the year in the ACC, but we'll see. We'll see.
0: Uh, Duke, North Carolina, A and T. Quentin Harris had a really nice game. Uh, kind of day that Duke fans, um, you know, have to be happy to see. Counted for five touchdown, four through the air, 345 yards passing, 83 yards rushing. Uh, Duke as a team had 210 yards on the ground, and you know this game was uh, it was fairly close there late in the second quarter. They're actually losing. And uh, Duke went on to score three touchdowns in the final three minutes and ten seconds to go up 28-10 at halftime. Um, and, you know, this was the eighth consecutive home opening win for Duke. Uh, so eight years in a row they've won their home opener, Crazy. which is pretty, uh, pretty impressive. So, um, you know, not much else to add for this one, but, uh, you know, I, th- I thought it was a nice kind of rebound game from last year against an opponent that, you know, is – is obviously a uh, a small school, but a very um, well-respected program at the FCS level.
1: Yeah, yeah, they they've turned it around. So NCA and T again, not a doormat like they used to be. Um, but Duke, yeah, Duke's looking good again. Cutcliffe does what Cutcliffe does, and that's always turn out some pretty consistent teams, uh, consistently good on offense as well. So, um, not really much to say here because obviously Duke did what you expected Duke to do. However, you know, Harris accounting for five touchdowns is pretty remarkable. Um, and that's a good sign for the devils as they move on.
0: So Scott Satterfield also got into the win column for the first time. Tim Louisville wins big over Kentucky 42 to nothing ends their 10 game losing streak. Jawan pass had a career high four touchdown passes, uh, Javion Hawkins had 123 yards on 11 carries. You know, I thought it was a nice, uh, a nice first win there for Scotty, and uh, a good, um, just a good way to kind of come back off of next week after an emotional game against Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, shout out to Dwayne Ledford and what he's able to do with that running game. Um, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that they were doing against Notre Dame looked good. Um, through the run game, and I think that's going to continue throughout the rest of the year. That'll be a good uh, fallback for Louisville, and I think they're going to be more competitive than we thought. I don't I don't think they'll have a winning record, but um, they're going to make some, some teams sweat in the ACC, and it'll be uh, interesting to see if they're able to sneak a couple upsets.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So, you know, that was week two. It was an interesting week. Uh, some things happened that we surely didn't expect. Um, you know, what is what is Miami going to do going forward? Are they going to be able to ride the ship? We think they will. Uh, they just need to, you know, start, start playing a little bit, a little bit smarter down the stretch. You know, Florida state, we have no idea what's going to, uh, be made of them. None. Uh, UVA, we still, you know, we, we know they beat Pitt, but I think we'll, we'll learn a lot more about them, uh, in week three. So looking forward to that matchup against Florida state. Uh, Virginia Tech is just kind of doing Virginia Tech things right now. So, you know, there's nobody that's really separated themselves, in my opinion, you know, outside of Clemson. No. Um, You know, the team that probably looks the best so far is Wake Forest, um, of of any of the just other schools behind Clemson, Uh, just with how they've been able to put up points consistently, had a big win over Utah State. Not that Rice is a huge opponent, but... um, You know, maybe a team that's improved over what they normally are uh, since, you know, Army took Michigan to overtime this week and they lost by a touchdown to Army last week. So uh, it's early in the season in college football. You got to love it. The storylines are building and, uh, you know, we're going to have our week three preview for you on Thursday this week. So once again, we're Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. If you are joining us for the first time, we're glad you're here. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Uh, Leave us a review. Let us know how you're doing, how we're doing, I should say. And uh, you can also follow us on uh, Twitter. You know, go go get in our mentions. Uh, Facebook, you can like us. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you can find us there. Really, anywhere you're listening to podcasts. Tim, why don't you uh, tell these people what they can do for us?
1: Leave a review. Tell your friends. uh, Pass the word along. We really appreciate it, and, and glad you guys are tuning in consistently. It, it makes our job a little easier uh, to keep sharing these things out, knowing that you guys are are uh, tuning in. So keep doing that, and we look forward to sp- speaking to you guys a little bit, looking forward to previewing some really good matchups and an interesting weekend for the ACC. Um, and, yeah, we look forward to it, and then that'll be it. I'm signing off now, and
0: uh, leave you with a go, ACC. See you guys later.